attention architects, and creative minds. Get ready to supercharge your brand with Build Your Brand, the podcast that's unlocking the secrets of branding success for creatives. Hey there, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my friend, architect marketing expert, Jeff Eccles at Build Your Brand Podcast, where he explores the captivating stories of the world's top brands and transforms their lessons into powerful moves for small firm architects and creatives like you. In season one, Jeff shares the thrilling tale of Southwest Airlines, where he dissects their journey to the summit and distills it into strategies tailor-made for you. It's important to keep in mind that companies like Southwest compete in the real world, just like you, and face real-world challenges, just like you. You might be surprised at how similar those challenges are to the struggles that you grapple with on a day-to-day basis. Don't miss out on your blueprint for success. Subscribe, tune in, and let's build your brand together. You may have noticed that the very best brands in the world are also known for having somewhat unique corporate cultures. That's often the glue that holds everything together when they encounter those rough spots. We don't do it because it inconveniences the passengers to whom we are primarily dedicated, the short haul uh, frequent flyer. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Your Brand today. Remember, no matter the size, the journey's the same. Your brand's journey to the top starts here. All right, Entree Architect community, it's time for context and clarity. The reason that I come to you every day is so that we can find clarity around the things that matter most to you, the architect. And it doesn't matter if you're the employee of a firm, maybe you dream of starting your own firm. Maybe you even said 2021 is my year and you're on the runway to starting your own firm. Maybe you've had a firm for a year or 10 years or 20 years and you're starting to rethink, reimagine what your firm could or should be. All of the topics that we cover, one topic every day, fall under the broad umbrella of the business of architecture, and they are the need-to-know topics for the success of architects just like you. You know, at the end of every episode of Context and Clarity, I ask you to find some time to breathe and relax and find a way to rejuvenate. And that's exactly what we're doing at Context and Clarity right now. It's the holidays and Catherine and I and the entire Context and Clarity team, well, we're taking a break. But I didn't want you to be without Context and Clarity Live, so I thought I would share with you one of my favorites from the first 45 episodes of Context and Clarity Live. This one is Roxanne Gay. Before we jump into the conversation, though, I thought I'd give you a little backstory on this conversation with Roxanne. Honestly. Roxanne Gay was a surprise. We actually had Debbie Millman, the host of Design Matters, scheduled for that week of Context and Clarity Live. But unfortunately, at the last minute, Debbie came down with something and wasn't feeling well. So her wife, Roxanne Gay, volunteered to step in in Debbie's place. That is absolutely amazing. First of all, to go from planning to talk to a luminary in the design and podcasting space to a luminary in the human rights and and social issues and and writing space. Absolutely amazing. So Roxanne was a very last minute substitution, I guess you should say. You might, if if you heard that we were going to talk to Roxanne Gay, you might have expected a different conversation, but nobody was prepared for that. So we just had a very human conversation with Roxanne. And one of the, I think, big highlights of that conversation was that we found out that Debbie and Roxanne are planning to build or renovate a home in Los Angeles. And so we talked through this whole process of finding a home, finding an architect, interviewing an architect, and working with an architect from the client's point of view. And I think it turned out to be a really great conversation. So I hope you enjoy the surprise conversation with Roxanne Gay. Thanks a lot for listening, and we'll be back 
very soon. Roxanne, like I said, and as you know, we've been talking about courage, different Mm -hmm. things that require courage. Um, And so, you know, I I think about it. Again, our audience is probably today going to be mostly architects. You're not an architect. You're a writer, prolific writer at that. Um, A lot of what we've talked about, fear holding us back, imposter syndrome, perfectionism, I just rattled off a whole list of bestsellers mm-hmm. that uh, that you have written, that you have produced uh, in, in lots of different genres, by the way. And that's just the tip of the iceberg of your work. And so it's, it strikes me that when we're talking about all of these things that we've been talking about all week, it's got to take a lot of courage. Maybe I'm wrong, but I think it's got to take a lot of courage for you to put pen to paper or uh, maybe look at the blank screen with a blinking cursor or whatever, whatever tools you use to do your work. But how much courage does it take to put yourself out there like you do every time that you write something? Well, thanks for having me. Um, You know, it depends, honestly. A lot of times people think I have far more courage than I actually do. Okay. Uh, but it does take some courage to write, not to write. I think, you know, if you're just keeping your writing to yourself, it takes some courage, but not the most courage. But to put your work in front of an audience and subject yourself to their opinions uh, takes a lot of courage. And I tend to be terrified about almost everything I write and how it's going to be received. And I just submit, I put my work out anyway despite the terror. And if you want to call that courage, sure. (laughs) But um, the fear is overwhelming. And, you know, I think it's because I know that there's something at stake. And I think whenever we care, we tend to be afraid uh, because we, you know, there's so much that can be on the line, especially as a writer. Um, The writing life for most writers is pretty precarious and, I, I, that's why I always tell young writers, keep your day job. Your day job is your best friend. It's a lot easier to create when you're not worried about paying the rent, buying groceries, putting gas in your car. Um, so, you know, I just try to balance fear and, and the ability to like work through the fear. And, you know, this is what I've done with that. <laughs> well, it's uh there's a lot of great points wrapped up into that. And, and I think, um, you know, one, one of the things that I wonder, as you were as you were explaining that, I started to think, you know, that you're talking a lot about the creative process and the risk in the creative process and putting yourself out there. Um, how do you, how you said you push through it. So how do you push through it? Is, is, do you have tools? Do you have techniques that you used? Or is it just... <laughs> You just count down and then push because that's what I do sometimes. What I do is I tell myself that no one's going to read my work, and so mm-hmm. it doesn't matter what I've said and how it's received because there's there is going to be no reception, and that is incredibly useful. And of course, the deeper I get into my career, the more challenging it is to nurture that disbelief. Um, but <laughs> but anyway, I sure do. And, um, yeah, I just tell myself it doesn't matter. Like, girl, say what you want. It's going to be fine. Are Are you ever surprised at the, well, I, I'm sure you can be surprised at some of the, you know, some of the stuff that comes in, but are, are you ever surprised because you're setting up that disbelief in your mind? Are you ever surprised at the number of people that, that have read or have engaged? Yes, I am. You know, when you're a writer, you don't expect to find an audience. Something is going to happen with your career that you're going to find an audience and that maybe once in a while you'll make a little more. And that audience appreciates what I have to say. Uh, it's a small miracle and it's something that I never take for granted. Uh, that's, I think that's an incredible outlook. It, um, you know, for, I think for a lot of us, 
you know, whether it is a podcast or you are writing, I, I, uh, there, there's a part of me that thinks that we ought to go into it, not worrying whether or not there's, there's an audience, but the reality is, and like you said, don't, don't quit your day job. The reality is, especially if, if we're maybe for this audience who are professionals, right? Professional services. So if they're an architect or they're, you know, they're, they're a doctor or they're an attorney, whatever they are. Um, there's different versions of course, of putting yourself out there, no matter what you do, but the, um, they're, they're required, I suppose, to at least put on an air of confidence. You know, they, no patient wants their doctor to walk into the exam room and go, yeah, I really don't know what I'm doing. Right. Mm -hmm. So, uh, we've got to project at least an air of confidence, but I was thinking earlier today that I I can't I don't think I can imagine a state where doctor attorney architect whatever we're in the first meeting with their client or their patient whatever they call them the person they serve where they have all the answers right then so it's this it's got to be this process of figuring out as you go so that's got to require courage as well like oh my gosh I'm I'm dealing with whatever this is. Um, in, any yeah. advice for somebody that that's in a figure it out as you go, but you've got to project confidence um, from the from the get go. Well, I don't know that you need to project confidence. I think you need to project competence. And mm, those interesting, are yeah, yeah. You know, I, I think confidence is attractive uh, in a professional context, in a personal context, but not everyone has all the answers all of the time, but. I want to be able to trust any professional that I'm working with, whether it's in the creative field or in the professional field. In fact, we're about to hire an architect to build a house. Um, I want to know that that person can do and execute my vision and can do what I need them to do and can admit when they don't know something, but can find answers to those questions. And competence is something that does that. There are all kinds of confident people that are utterly incompetent and who do sloppy work. And right. the confidence is, in fact, uh, a disguise. It's a shield. And, um, you know, I think we put way too much stock in the importance of confidence um, without substance. Yeah, I, I co completely agree with you there. So you, you've opened up a you know, a wormhole now, right? I think she's <laughs> already got her, he's, she's already got a short list, everybody. Don't get excited. No, I don't, actually. Oh, no, you don't. Scratch, um, but wow. we're building in Los Angeles. In Los um, Angeles. Oh, we are building nice. in Los Angeles. Okay. Wow. Let, be let me ask you this then, mm -hmm. because there are a lot, of, a lot of architects listening right now. When someone is, there you go, when someone is looking to hire an architect to design a home, this, this is great because this is the other side of the table, right? What do you think you want in an architect and how will you make that selection? I think she wants someone super arrogant and confident, I think. Right? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I want. Right. Um, that's a really good question. And I think one of the things we need to figure out is what we want in an architect. You know, people have given us some names and these are incredibly impressive architects who have beautiful mm -hmm. portfolios. And it, it seems like, yes, they would be wonderful to work with. But, you know, we want someone who's going to actually listen to us mm -hmm. about what we want. One of us is a designer. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. One of us has all kinds of really, really intense opinions about how things should look. And so we also need someone who's kind of flexible and who will be patient with working with the designer. <laughs> and we also want someone who has creative ideas and who can stand up to us. And, you know, sometimes like you'll be like, I want a swing set in the living room. And I'm sure there's an architect who will be like, I hear you, but. <laughs> and see why that would be fun. That's. Yeah. I, you know, I also want someone who will push back when our ideas are just unrealistic or they're in the long term won't look good um, or won't be useful for us. So, um, you know, it starts with, do you share our aesthetic and do mm -hmm. you like beautiful things and can you create beautiful spaces? And then, you know, what are you like to work with? 
Um, how busy are you? How responsive are you on email? Like those kinds of things matter. And um, how do you create boundaries and say, that's enough. Don't email me anymore <laughs> for the day. <laughs> I, you know, frankly, that's not going to happen because we're actually too busy. But um, we just want to know that we're, you know, that th this is a dream home that we'll be building if we can't find the right house. And so far, we haven't found the right house. And so and we're going to be spending a lot of money. And so we would like to know that that money is going to be well spent. Yeah. yeah. That I all... mean, I'm not even in California, and I just love hearing that. You're going to spend a lot of money. <laughs> you want a swing set? I mean, that's. Yeah, I mean, we just want to go all out. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we have a different, we have a couple of different, like, sort of constraints. You know, we both, we need two home offices. We need, we need a, an in-law suite or a second home on the property for my parents. We need, I mean, it's just a lot. And so we need someone who can accommodate all of that. And it's, in LA, this is like, I don't want to say standard, like everyone has it, but there are a lot of houses that have in-law suites in Los Angeles mm -hmm. because, sure. there's a, because there's a housing crisis. And the city has decided one of the ways to solve that high, high crisis is to allow people to build these things they call ADUs. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, it's like all of that. And so it's a kind of exciting, but it's also overwhelming. Yep. So if you, if you're talking to an architect, right. And they've, you've seen their portfolio, like you said, and, and I'm, I'm guessing you're going to go through some, a set of interviews basically yeah. to talk to these people. Um, do you have any feel? And I know some of it is just going to be, you'll get a, you'll get a feeling about mm -hmm. someone, you know, just the same way we, we get feelings no matter what we're searching for. Um, do you have any idea how, let's see, how, how do I want to ask this? How you might, uh, balance all of those things that, that you're talking about and how you might quote unquote score it, or is it just going to be, a you know, I'll, I'll know it when I see, or we'll know it when we see it kind of thing. I think it's one of those, we'll know it when we see it kinds of things, but artists are temperamental. So beautiful design is going to be a priority. Like, mm -hmm. I don't need you to hold my hand. I don't need you to be my friend. I, I have friends, you know, I, I do need you to respect me, but I don't need you to be warm and fuzzy. And so really for me, open communication, a willingness to hear our ideas, but just a beautiful aesthetic is going to be the priority because uh, when the job is done, we're going to actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. <laughs> and so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is, is most important. And so I would say like, that would be 60% of it, if not more. That's kind okay. of interesting because we were talking about, um, that is actually interesting because we have been talking about emotional intelligence with, you know, how important is that as architects, people have varying degrees of it and everything. And so, so the idea of relating to clients and being able to be um, emotionally in tune with them and that sort of thing is um, something that we think about. But so it's kind of interesting to think that you um, aren't, it's kind of crushing actually to think that you're not interested in being friends with your architect after. Cause I guess well, we all I mean, do that. that that's wonderful. Like I, I, I would enjoy that very much. Like the woman who, the realtor who sold me my first house is our realtor now. And we, we became friends through the process. And I think we'll always be friends. And so um, it's it's just, if it doesn't happen, it's okay. If you're like not a perfect sort of friendly person, if we don't jive on a personal level, but right. we jive on a professional level, it's yeah. totally, totally fine. That makes sense. Yeah, that's great. I guess we like to think we need to be more charming, you know, and that's going to get us the job. But I guess. Yeah. And oh, you know, the. I teach or sometimes I used to be a professor. Um, I'm taking a couple of years off. You know, people tend to expect you to be sort of like, they think of it as client services and it's not, it's education. Um, and so it's frustrating sometimes to have to be expected to be an entertainer and a charmer, but also to be an expert in my field. <laughs> it's like, wait, you, you can have two of those three. You can't have all three. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, that's that's a lot of balls to have in the year. It is. Um, I know Catherine is uh, working on a, I, a 
it's too question. long to fit in there. Can I just re can I read it and then I'll yeah, summarize yeah, it later? It. Okay, just so we had a question from Rod who said, I would like her to talk about the two creator household and the challenges associated with having the space, privacy, energy, support needed and given, required to do good work and give good partner. What that last That's part. A great question, Rod. You know, we're figuring that out right now. What we're doing is um, she's based in La uh, New York and I'm based in Los Angeles and we go back and forth every few months. And it's interesting because we each have very specific spaces and we also have home office. We both have home offices in both spaces. Um, but in one city, you know, it's her aesthetic that dominates and in the other it's mine. And so what we're looking for is a space where both of us can feel like we are, it doesn't have to necessarily be equal because as my mom says, there's no such thing as 50, 50 in a marriage, but um, where we both feel well represented and where there are creative spaces. And especially for Debbie, a space where she can do the business side of her work, but also a studio space where she can do the more creative hands-on side of her work, a place where we can have some of our staff show up once in a while and not feel like they're in our private home space. Mm -hmm. um, a space where you look around and you know that creative people live in this space. And so I'm a writer. Uh, yes, I'm a writer. And so, you know, I have a ton of books. I have a home library. And so, you know, we want to be able to display books. We want to be able to display, we both have significant art collections. And so we want to be able to display the collections. You know, we just looked at a house in Silver Lake and it was a beautiful, beautiful home. And it was uh, Barbara Bester, which mm. is great. And um, there was not really much wall space. And so mm. as we were walking through it, we were like, yeah, it was the right size. It actually had an office section. It had like, lit it had an in-law suite. It had literally everything we were looking for, but there was nowhere to put the art. And so things like that matter to us. And and the, it, the, this kind of stuff fuels our creativity, um, both personally and professionally. So that's kind of what we're looking for. And also really lovely common spaces because we do spend a lot of social time together now, especially with COVID. Um, things changed. And I saw one, someone asked, you know. Yeah, I was going to put that out there. Needs for space changed. Well, one, ample space to work. We actually converted a bedroom, a master bedroom. We have, I have two master bedrooms in, in LA and um, don't, it's not as fancy as it sounds. <laughs> and so we turned one of them into Debbie's home office because it has big windows, it has high ceilings. And so she can really create in there and also teach and do her other things. And so we're thinking more now about like, how can we genuinely be comfortable at home and both in terms of our work, but in terms of having friends over and uh, cooking for dinner and knowing like we may not be able to leave the house for three months. So like what kind of space do you want to be in when you cannot go outside? Uh, that's helping um, shape what we want. Speaking of cooking, which I know is, is that, do you call it cooking or baking? What, what is, what is your passion? Don't you? I do both. Okay. So I, I, saw, I saw a tweet of yours. This, this is way off on a tangent. I'm just apologizing ahead of time. So <laughs> we, we, we were got off on a tangent yesterday of cookies and yeah, yeah. you had a, you Easy had a tweet in the last day or so. I forget when it was about French toast cookies. I did. Oh, what's and that? I, Does it involve raisins? Cause we hope not. That was a big controversy no at all. No. Um, so Christina Tosi is uh, the owner of Milk Bar. She's an incredible baker based here in New York. And um, Debbie had done some consulting for her from Milk Bar at one point, And she had appeared on Debbie's podcast. And so I started following her because I was really interested because in, I love baking. And at the time, I didn't have any time because I tour constantly pre-COVID. And so I was on the road almost every week. So I would read about bakers and just enjoy like their recipes. And so she has this thing she started during the pandemic called Bake Club, where once a week or so, it used to be every day, but now it's about once a week. She does a video and she bakes something lovely. And most of the stuff is like stuff I'm never going to eat. But a couple of days ago, she did a video about French toast cookies. And I was like, well, that 
<laughs> that is something I would enjoy. And so I um, went online and found the recipe and because I was writing it down from her video and I was like, I don't have all day for this. And so I used Google. I found the recipe and I made the cookies last night and it was a lot of fun. It was a really great recipe. She writes really good recipes. And French toast cookies, it's got bits of French toast inside what is essentially a sugar cookie base. I, I saw it. I saw, I saw your tweet. I saw the picture and I about fell out. So <laughs> it's like, I highly recommend if you enjoy baking, it, it's. Which one there, is it? There are lots of them here. Um, I'm going to post it for everybody to make, we can make them and. Yes. Yeah, if you Google Christina Tosi French uh, bake club, it's on the mm. bake club website. Awesome. Thanks. Yeah. Well, before I, uh, before I have to run off and grab a cookie or something, uh, we better pull it, <laughs> pull it back. Um, with, with the new home in LA is, is the podcast studio going to be built yep. in it? Absolutely. Yeah. We have podcast studio in each house because we both have podcasts Yeah, and we will be making a special, if not in one, if not two. And I know that sounds weird, but we both, we have, we have recording conflicts more than you would think. And so um, we want a room that's dedicated because right now um, it's my office that doubles as a podcast studio. And we've sort of put up um, soundproofing and things like that, but it's not ideal. And we know we could get better sound quality from just a dedicated home studio. And it doesn't have to be big, quite honestly. It's, oh, yeah. you know, if we find like a walk-in closet that we don't need, it could be that, but yes, there will absolutely be a dedicated podcast studio wherever yeah. we end up. Wow. It, it is interesting that your, your creatives in, in your work, mm-hmm. uh, not, not to discount the podcasting in any way, because that's huge for both of you, but, but, uh, you've got so many different facets of the, uh, uh, of the creative and, and, um, each one having their own. It's pretty amazing. It's, it's going to have to be, uh, almost a no awesome arc of, uh, of things. Yeah. If we can find a way to do it so that it's one room, but divided in half. I mean, we're not going to dedicate two entire rooms in a house to this, I assure you, but we are, I'm, I am, my goal is to find a way for us to be able to record at the same time without letting the podcast dominate the house because studios are not really attractive places. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. So we have a question here from Chris <clears throat> Novelli. I don't know it's all going to fit. As uh-huh. a creative person during these unique times, what are some ways to put yourself out there in different ways? I think he's, well, I don't know what he's thinking, but I'm, you know, just that we have to change what we would normally be doing because we have the travel and all that. Yeah. You know, um, I'm really lucky. I have speaking agents. And so they put me out there for me. <laughs> um the first I panicked when we, I realized that the world was going to shut down. And I also told myself, Oh, it's going to be three months. I can live for three months without income. Um, because like many writers, I make more income from touring and public speaking than I do from writing. So, you know, I just thought, okay, I can get through three months. And then I thought I can get through a year, which I could. And Fortunately, around three or four months in, people started to figure out ways of doing virtual events. Mm. And so that actually, that work has returned. And in some ways, I am able to go to places that I would not ordinarily want to travel to (laughs) because I am doing these virtual spaces. But I think that if you are looking for ways to put yourself out there right now as a creative person, you should be willing to propose an idea to whoever would be hosting some sort of event or creative opportunity. I think right now people are looking for innovation. And I think that there is a really rich opportunity here for people to do something more than just like a Zoom reading or conversation or panel. I mean, those are well and good, but I have seen enough at this point. And I would love to see someone really innovate in this space and and do something fresh. I watched this uh, play um, several months ago that was produced in part by Jeremy O'Harris, who did Slave Play. And I'm forgetting the name, but it was unlike anything I had ever seen. 
And it really worked as a play designed to be executed in a virtual space. And I would love to see more creative people doing that sort of thing, thinking outside of the computer screen and the proverbial box. Uh, and I think artists can put themselves out in that way by using their imaginations to come up with these interesting ideas and then pitching them to whomever. Sometimes, I think especially over the past year, I think a lot of creative people have realized that we can't sit and wait for the work to come to us because a lot of people don't ever prioritize creativity and they're certainly not gonna prioritize it during a pandemic. And so we have to show them why they need to make it a priority. And I, that's the challenge in front of us. And I think most of us are capable of rising to that occasion. That's really, that's a really great comment. And I, I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, selfishly get this in before the next question, but you just said something about, um, most people not prioritizing creativity, which I think mm -hmm. is completely true. And I know that many of the architects who are watching this, especially when it comes to designing homes, right? You, you, there are a lot of options depending on where you are in the country. You can go to a builder, you can uh, buy one that's already existing, you can renovate it or not. Uh, mm -hmm. There's lots, lots and lots of options out there. So, and you said that you had looked at some and hadn't found a home and we're that. Looking, but we just, the more we look, the more we realize ugh, at what the price point is reaching, we might as well just either renovate a sort of tear down or start from scratch on a piece of empty land. Um, so, yeah, it, 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 there are so many options. It's overwhelming. Well, Mm -hmm. Let me ask you this. Since there are so many options, why are you going to an architect? Why are you going to use an architect rather than, say, a builder or somebody like that? It's a trick question. <laughs> it's not a trick question. <laughs> I think we're going to use both, honestly. Well, sure. Uh, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. You didn't know. The architect, I think, is because we're both creative people and we have such specific needs. And we have seen a lot of houses from builders like these brand new renos and gut jobs. LA is good for them. Like they're a dime a dozen and they're extraordinarily expensive, but they're all so bland. They're like, let's just, you know, take this 8,000 square foot lot and put a 7,800 square foot house on it. True story. And, you know, it looks, it's all white walls and weird, ugly marble. And, you know, it's like a very masculine aesthetic, but not even interesting masculine. It's no, I know, I know. It's a weird, we got to name it. Like, because that's all over the country. It's the same. Yeah, it's so, it's like, I get it. And like, on the one hand, it's appealing and that you move in and it's a tabula rasa. You can do whatever. But right. on the other hand, it's like at this price point, uh, like I want it to be like one of the things Debbie has said at most of the houses we looked at, she's like, this isn't special. It doesn't right. feel, there's no grand entrance. There's nothing memorable. There's no quirkiness. And it's all very, it's supposed to, they call it like luxury, but it's all just cookie cutter. Yeah. And so I don't know that there's the same level of creativity or refinement with a builder. With all due respect to builders. My right. dad's an engineer, so I'm all down with builders. But um, <clears throat> they, they try to do what people like. Like, this is what people like is what they tell me all the time. Like, who are the people? What people? So, yes, I don't know. exactly. Like who, you know, especially in Los Angeles, I tend to wonder, like, who are you designing this house for? I, and I know that the answer is like some rich guy who doesn't have any kids who yeah. wants to have a bachelor pad. But exactly, it's like, yeah. what a bachelor pad is this size? Like, what is <laughs> really? That's a big yeah. bachelor. So, um, yeah, someone said it's the restoration hardware aesthetic. And that's actually very true. I've seen a lot of staged houses with the restoration hardware furniture. And I have a restoration hardware couch. And so I'm not judging restoration hardware, but right. for an entire house, that's a lot of, a lot, yeah. that's a lot of uh, dark, heavy furniture. <laughs> <laughs> Rod says not interesting. Masculine is his life story. So a sad, <laughs> a sad tale. That is all right. You, you had a, a uh, question up there that I stepped yeah. all over Catherine. I apologize. Well, that's okay. I didn't, I just, I just was getting excited about doing my job. <laughs> but, I mean, I'm glad we continued on to have that part of the, um, 
So where am I here? So Jay actually says you taught a master class on writing for social change. And what can you tell us in two minutes that we can take to our work? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, you know, I think the most important thing that I try to impart um, when it comes to writing at all is that you have to be consistent in your practice. And that's not the sexy part that people, you know, people want to hear about the like soaring creativity and that, that magic of creation, which is absolutely important, but you have to give yourself as many opportunities as possible to get to that magical moment, to say the amazing thing that's going to create social change. And for me, um, consistency and practice has been the thing, you know, I am incredibly prolific, not by choice, but um, I think that's what the market has demanded. I think writers of color have a different level of expectation for what they need to produce to get to the same place that some of our white peers achieve with far less. Mm -hmm. And so consistent practice has made it possible. Like write every day and you don't have to do it every day. Consistent just means regular. Um, but for me, that has meant writing every day, reading every day and spending time thinking about what I care about, doing research every day. And I think consistency tends to start to show up in your work and it gives you an authority that you can then use to bring your readers to whatever place you want them to be at by the time they finish an essay or a story or a book. Uh, and so I think a lot of it starts with consistency, no matter what you're doing creatively. For those of you that are out there in the audience that joined us several weeks ago when we had Seth Godin on as a guest, did any of that sound familiar to you? I mean, to me, that's one of those, when we start hearing multiple people saying very similar things, it becomes, that's got to be truth, right? Because Seth Godin talked about, you know, something very similar. You put in the work. Um, and of course, he he says, um, you know, a lot of the work that he's he's put out is not great work, and but eventually you might hit on something that's good. So I, I love that idea of of um, some sometimes we got to grind, right? Yeah, and you know it's not really glamorized, and it, it shouldn't be. And I want and also I I do think it's important to make a distinction between grind and overwork because. Yep. So many industries, especially I'm thinking of video games in particular, but I think it can apply to almost, I was an architecture major back in the day. Um, grind you were, is, you were um, an architecture major? I was, when I was at Yale. I majored in architecture. What? How um, did we even miss that? That is huge. <laughs> it is. But the, you know, the problem with my architecture was I had really great ideas um, in terms of like interesting things for buildings, but A, I'm not great at drawing. But more importantly, I had no sense of structure. And so none of my shit was going to stand up ever. Well, that's why you have an engineer. You should don't, don't give up on your dreams. You don't have or have, have any structural. <laughs> no, I found something else to do with my creativity. But yeah, wow. you know, well, grinding shouldn't be like grinding yourself into the ground. Yeah. Right. But you should probably also tell your future architect that you were an architecture major. Oh, I, will never, I will never, oh, ever admit that, ever. Well, <laughs> I don't want them to think I'm trying to be like, I took a few biology classes. <laughs> when I'm talking, like, you know, when people, some people yeah. talk to a doctor and they're like, I can do that. I'm like, no, I can't do that. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, so it just reminded me of the done and shipped. Um, someone had previously asked, Mark had previously asked a question about, do you have support and do you have tools or tips for getting the work out every day? I guess. Done and shipped. Yeah. <laughs> Um, well, I have a full-time assistant and that goes a really long way because she does all of the stuff I don't want to do and also manages my calendar. She manages a lot of emails and scheduling, travel arrangements, uh, coordinating meetings, coming to meetings to take notes. And when you have someone to handle all of those, in fact, I'm about to hire her an assistant. When you have someone to manage all of that, it makes it so much easier to be creative. So many people struggle with creativity because there's, and myself included, like when you don't have any help, you have to do it all yourself. You're not only the creative engine, but you're also the mechanic that keeps the engine functioning. And so having support staff has been incredibly useful to getting the work done. 
Uh, deadlines are somewhat useful, but I tend to not make them. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know how good of a tool they are. <laughs> and um, just ambition. I mean, ambition work goes, does a lot of the work to keep moving forward, to keep creating not only good, not only work, but good work. And so, yes. I love that because a lot of the topics that we cover are, you know, I, I often open up and say they all fall under the broad umbrella of the business of architecture. And I, I think that's a great point. And if you're a small firm, if you're a solopreneur, if you're one person, you know, you're wearing a lot of hats mm-hmm. and, and and you have to. But I, I think that that idea of creating space by hiring an assistant or an assistant to your assistant or whatever that looks like, you know, for someone's context, I think creating that space for creativity is a really important idea that I hope everybody takes away from, from that comment. Uh, I think it's really important. I'm, I'm hundred percent guilty of as charged, but, um, that's, that's a, that's a great, great idea. Great concept there. And it took a long time for me to get to a place like, like one, I wanted to make sure I could only do it when I could pay the person a, a fair wage and provide health insurance, which I do, and provide retirement, which I do. Mm-hmm. And until I could do that, I was not going to do it because I just, it was not something that my principles would allow. But I also had to teach myself to delegate because I'm a control freak. And I'm just like, I could just do it myself. <laughs> like, that's not helping. <laughs> And so right. it, it's actually really hard to relinquish some of that control. Um, but I am still an ongoing project, but teaching myself to relinquish control and to trust Caitlin uh, is my assistant. And assistant isn't even, it doesn't feel like an adequate word for what right. she is in my practice. But um, it's just uh, challenging, but I, I'm so grateful that I have it now because I was really drowning and now I'm drowning, but I can sort of, I'm holding onto a life raft. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I, I think a lot of people can, uh, can identify yeah. with that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was just saying that to my assistant this morning. I, I said, I could get somebody to do this and that, but I could also do it. She's like, you could do it. Like, yeah, I could. And I can't, I don't know. I can't let you do it. So we're having this little thing. So maybe you're going to inspire me to let it just trust her. Yeah, just trust her, you know, and it's hard. There are sometimes like, when, and when she doesn't do it exactly the way I want her to do it, so there, yeah. there are times when I get like, ah, and then I think, wait, no, if I want it done my way, then I need to do it. If she does it her way and gets to whatever result I need, it doesn't matter how she got from point A to point Z. Mm-hmm. You know, what matters is that she got there and she did it well. And right. so, yeah, it's challenging though. I'm, I'm glad to hear I'm not the only one who sort of struggles. Well, you're definitely not the only one, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm, yeah. So I, I think you're surrounded by a community that struggles. <laughs> we were just talking about perfectionism the other day, and it kind of ties into that in a way, right? Yeah. It's, it's like, I want it done. Like, I think I'm not a perfectionist, but then it turns out like, oh, no, no, you're supposed to put the carrots against the bread with the mayonnaise. It's not supposed to be between the cheese and the cucumber because that's not going to work, you know? So it turns out I'm really, really particular about certain things. And, um, you know, I might be hard to work with. And it's okay. Not enough women allow themselves to be difficult. Meanwhile, (laughs) our, our friends, our male friends, they like revel in being difficult and they're celebrated for it. Like, look at this amazing artist. He's so difficult, but he's brilliant. And a woman is just like, difficult and therefore incompetent. Well, yeah. Hmm. I don't that's think a whole nother podcast. Maybe that's your podcast. I think, right. So. <laughs> um, so should I ask this question, Jeff? Yeah, Go ahead. And yeah, go ahead and do that. And I've got one. I want to so find Just to well. follow up a little bit on your consistency thing. Do you have like, do you have a, specific routine that you follow in order to stay consistent every day? I do not simply because just the nature of my life does not allow it from one day to the next. Everything is going to be different. My career is weird. And, you know, like normally as a writer, you write a book, you put it into the world. You're, if you're lucky, people review it, respond to it. You write another book, but I've had opportunities to move into film and television, um, the public speaking, I've been on, I've done a little acting, even though I have no interest in it. Um, what were you on? I was were on the L word. I was on the L word. It was a lot of fun. 
it was a lot of fun and also like weird but you know (laughs) because of these opportunities um every day is different every day is kind of an adventure and so i just make the time and sometimes i have Caitlin build it into my calendar, um, unstructured time so that I can either read and or write or think or, or outline or whatever I need to do. Um, and that, so that's the consistent thing that I just try to find the time and not every day is going to be three or four or eight or 10 hours of writing. Some days I, I do 30 minutes. Um, but at least it keeps that muscle limber and it allows me to, sort of the next day and the day after still be able to do what I need to do because I haven't like the muscle memory isn't gone. That's awesome. The muscle memory. We've got to develop that. That's a long time to be writing. I was thinking half an hour. It is. When I'm in the throes of like really like I wrote my first novel in about four months two and three or four months. And I did it by writing about 10 to 12 hours a day. I summer, it was a summer between my first and second years as a faculty member. And so I did have the summer off ish. And so I used that time because I knew I would not have this opportunity again until the next summer. And uh, I found that that intense period of writing, I was also single at the time and I don't have children. Uh, So I had a life that made this possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is intense and I, I enjoy it cause I love writing, but it's, I know it's not everyone's cup of tea. It just seems kind of like a great, I just like a big, huge chunk of time to be doing like concentrating on something. That just sounds great to me. So it's so great. It's so great. Everyone should, if you want, if you want it, everyone should be able to do it. Yeah. It's just, we should just do it. Um, Jeff, I, I've been reminded that it's coming up on 45 minutes. Yes, I know we are, Roxanne, I know we're up against your time limit. Um, And we really appreciate you being here today. We didn't know necessarily where the conversation was going to go. And we appreciate all the rabbit trails that uh, we were able to go down with you. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, For all the architects that are out there that heard uh, Roxanne or will hear either in the podcast version or you watch the recording of this later, you heard Roxanne talking about architecture from the client's point of view. So, uh, that, that's something that we don't get a whole lot in these conversations. So I hope you all pay attention to what Roxanne was saying, um, you know, about their process and, and everything. So, um, Thank you very much, Roxanne. We really appreciate you. And uh, again, we hope Debbie gets to feeling better soon. And um, before, right before you go, yeah, uh, tell me this. What's, what's the next thing that's coming out for you? Yeah, I have a book coming out on November 16th called How to Be Heard. And it's a book of writing advice. And some of it's incredibly practical because not a lot of writing advice is practical. It's more sort of... Um, like Annie Lamott, Bird by Bird, which is a stunning book. I love it. I return to it. But it's spiritual. And this is more like, here's how you actually get it done. And then it's partly about how to use your voice to make the kind of statements you want and to put the kind of work into the world that you want. And ideally to create social change. So um, I'm looking forward to that book. Excellent. Thank you for that. And for those of you who are watching this, of course, um, you can find Roxanne's work, uh, her her books, uh, I, wherever books are sold, of course. Um, lots of bestsellers on the list. It'll be very easy to find. Um, you can also check out her column in the New York Times, as well as her podcast that's called Here. H-E-A-R, Here to Slay. And so I invite all of you to check out Roxanne's podcast as well. So again, Roxanne Gay, thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, We appreciate you and this conversation. And uh, we hope that we can uh, talk to you again soon. Awesome. Thank you, Architects. And Debbie will be better soon. Just vaccine, you know, it's rough. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs)
I can identify <laughs> with that. Send us a picture of your new house. We'd love to see what it turned oh, out looking oh, like. Oh, well. <laughs> yeah. Great. Great. Bye, Thank thanks. you. Thanks, Roxanne. Thanks for listening to this week's Context and Clarity Live episode. Selfishly, I love these conversations because I get to be the go-between between you and some really incredible guests. To that end, I want to know what you think about today's guest. Message me on the socials. I'm really easy to find. I'm Jeff underscore Eccles everywhere. If you happen to run across a white-haired chiropractor from Austin, Texas, yeah, that's not me. I'm the other Jeff Eccles. Oh, and if you have an idea for a future guest, tell me who it is and why you think they'd be a good guest for one of these conversations. Maybe we can get them on a future episode. All right. If you want more of the Context and Clarity podcast delivered to you, subscribe wherever you consume podcasts. And if you love content like this, check out Gable Media. It's the multimedia network for people that care about the built environment, and it's the home of Context and Clarity. With Gable's growing family of podcasts and video channels, I know you'll find something there that interests you. You can learn more at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. So thanks for listening. I hope our time together has inspired you to think about your community and your practice and how you can support those around you. I'll be back here again tomorrow. And in the meantime, I hope you'll join me and the Entree Architect community on Facebook. The link is entrearchitect.com slash group. That's where every weekday at 4 p.m. I host Context and Clarity Conversations. And we take these topics, the topics that you hear about in this daily podcast episode, and we dig deeper. We have a conversation in real time so we can help each other find more clarity around the topics that matter most, no matter what your context is. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, Well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like, how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh One that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success.